Hi everyone, this is Sam Black, and welcome to Drafting Archetypes. Today we are going to be talking about uh, a first look at uh, Murder at Karloff Manor. I have not played with the set at all. We are still before the pre-release at the time of recording, so I've studied it some. I can't say that I've like studied it extensively. I've looked at uh, like what the color combinations do and thought about all the commons, but I haven't uh, given a close look to higher rarity cards. This is more of broadly what I think is happening in this set. It's all going to be very, very, very speculative, but should be some usable information going into the pre-release. Just for information about what to expect moving forward, I'm going to be drafting this set a lot this weekend during the pre-release, so I should be able to give a more informed uh, first look next week uh, before the set goes live online. So, as always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, and let's get into what I think is going on with this set. So, a good starting point with anything with any set for me is to look at uh, how the mana works and what you should expect in terms of playing more than two color decks and stuff like that. I anticipate a lot of splashing or multicolor decks in this set. There are two common lands that give you access to mana of any color and three common green cards the uh, search for land of any color and also i think there's a like mana worker type like uh colorless card that filters mana so a lot of ability to to not not only just a large number of cards that fix your mana but specifically the fact that all of the cards that fix your mana like work for any color like they're evolving wilds at worst like the different classes of amount of fixing in a card i guess is like dual well pathway type situations are the least amount of fixing right it gives you only a single color and you're only choosing between two colors then dual lands are like very slightly better fixing than that and then evolving wilds are better fixing than that it only gives you you choose a single color and then it gives you any color it gives you but it gives you access to whatever one color you're missing and then uh lands that tap for a mana of any color even like a Shimmering Grotto is kind of like one step harder fixing than that, where it can cast like every splash card at the same time. So this set at common has one of the like hardest fixing, uh, like a land that taps for a land of any color, and one of the second hardest fixing, a land that finds a land of any color, and then three green cards that are also in that second hardest fixing category, and then another colorless common that's in the hardest fixing category. So a lot of fixing available. And then also mechanics similar to Morph are really good at disguising a questionable mana base because they let you spend colorless mana to play your creature. So you'll always have something to do even if you're missing colors and you can splash a card that has the disguise ability and you'll still be able to use it you can trade with it or whatever if you don't think that you're going to find the mana to cast it to flip it over. So between the fact that there are functionally going to be a lot of colorless cards and the fact that 
the mana fixing is good, it's going to be pretty easy to splash. So, you know, Wizards these days makes kind of like that insert that says, here's what each two color combination is doing. That matters more the more decks are actually two colors. And in this set, I think it might be the case that most decks are splashing. I would say that the amount of splashing going on here is going to be more similar to a set like Wilds of Eldraine, um, which also had pretty good fixing and pretty good incentives to pull people into playing more colors. Um, I, I expect this to go pretty similarly, where there are a good number of gold cards and it's pretty easy to use them. Notably, the cycle of gold commons uh, are the disguise creatures that flip over for hybrid. So you don't actually need to be their gold color pair to put them in your deck. They all cost two colors of mana to cast face up, but hybrid mana to flip over after you disguise them. So you can play like the white red card in a mono white deck or a white green deck and just flip it over for white mana but you'll never be able to cast it face up. Most of these cards are kind of better to go through the disguise anyway, but like losing options matters. Um, they're certainly going to be better if you have the mana to be able to, like if you have both colors of mana, but also that's a reason that you might want to be, you know, like white with a touch of, like if, if you're green white, you might, it might be a reason to put a red source in your deck. Like, oh, I'm green white and I have this green red, this white red hybrid card. If I put an Evolving Wilds and a Mountain in my deck, some portion of the time I might want to use red mana to cast this face up. And so you just get a little bit of extra optionality. That by itself, like if that's your only card, it might not be enough to put red in. But now you're like, this is a free bonus that I get with another red splash that I might want to make for some other red gold card or something. And then it starts to tip the scale toward, all right, I'll make this little splash. So while the gold cards can function as hybrid or monocolored cards, they do loosely pull you into getting more kinds of mana into your deck. So th that's the sort of thing that's similar to Wilds of Eldraine will kind of like coax you into putting extra colors in your deck, right? The same way that having a creature with an off-color adventure ability might start to tip the scales toward putting a land of another color in your deck. The same thing can happen with hybrid cards. And then there are also, um, you know, two cycles of gold uncommons. Uh, so plenty of reasons to have extra colors of mana in your deck. General morph stuff, like any set that has morph type mechanics where you can spend three mana to play a face down 2-2. Two 2-2 -two. Two -two becomes kind of the default size of a creature. So that means that like any 3-2 or 4-2 is like relatively bad because it's likely to trade down or the extra stats are just not likely to help you all that much. Whereas both 2-1 and 2-3 are relatively good stat lines. More importantly, basically any two drop that has two power is able to like trade with a three drop usually your opponent won't want to trade their like face down three drop for your two drop so really your two drop will kind of like invalidate their three drop for a couple of turns regardless meaningful tempo uh the the fact basically what it means is that a large portion of the time that someone plays a three drop your two drop will be able to not be outclassed by it and that means that having a two drop is a little bit more important 
So any way you slice it, two drops get a little bit more significant in sets with uh, a lot of morphs, or in this case, disguise creatures. Because of the uh, nature of fixing and splashing, I think that we're looking less at... It matters what a two-color pair does to understand what mechanics are included within that two-color pair that is a portion of a deck, but I suspect that most decks will be about overlapping synergies between distinct two-color pairs and that they will actually be three or more colors. So um, I wanted to look beyond the stated archetypes, which incidentally, blue-white detectives, a typal deck, blue-black clues, a control deck that like generates some clues to get value to grind out opponents, black-red suspect aggro. Suspect is a mechanic that makes a creature have menace and can't block, so you use that to be able to push damage in an aggressive deck. Red-green big disguise, have creatures that are large and have the disguise ability, so you can kind of play an early game and then start going very big. Green-white wide disguise, uh, creatures that make tokens or stuff like that and want you to have a lot of creatures in play and stuff with disguise. White-black power two or less matters. Uh, Blue-red, Artifact Sacrifice, Green-black, Creatures Leave the Graveyard, White-red Battalion, and Blue-green, Collect Evidence, which is the Delve-style mechanic that allows you to exile cards from your graveyard to pay for abilities, but it cares about the casting costs of the cards exiled. So those are the stated colored pairs. Memorizing them at this point isn't very important. What I want to do is look at, so for a three-color pair, for example, Esper, what overlap exists. So detectives, just the word detective doesn't tell you a lot about what's going on here. But looking at the set a bit, some of the detectives care about uh, making, some of, the, some of them make clues, some of them care about drawing extra cards, some of them have two power or less or care about having uh, two power or less. So all of these themes kind of connect the like, clues and the drawing extra cards and the small creatures and the detectives that give you clues and are small creatures. So Esper as a whole is like pretty coherent, but somewhat loosely coherent. Grixis. Clues clearly overlap with the artifact sacrifice theme. They are artifacts that are good to sacrifice and or sacrifice themselves. Suspect aggro. I don't really know how that fits into clues and sacrificing artifacts. Arguably, it's there's, you know, well, I could play a Grixis evasive aggro deck that uses, like, flying from Thopters and Menace from these suspect creatures to make an aggressive aggro, evasive aggro plan. I'm a little skeptical because it's a three-color aggro deck at that point, which I generally don't recommend, but at least the, like, clue part of blue-black and the artifact sacrifice of blue-red makes a lot of sense together. Jund... The overlap between these themes is questionable. So you have big creatures, menace creatures that can't block, and creatures leaving your graveyard. These are, uh, it's really hard to find any useful overlap here. The best I can come up with is if you morph a big creature, or if you disguise a big creature and it trades, then it might be useful to recur it later. So, like, your red-green big creatures deck might want some black recursion elements, 
but um, the overlapping synergy between these parts is pretty loose. So Jund doesn't seem like a great fit to me, although notably it's a three color pair that includes green. Green has very, very good fixing. So like combining any uh, green, like green with any colors, I think is pretty easy to make sense out of. Um, and like red and black both have good removal. So you can have kind of a classic, just like creatures and good removal type thing going on here. Naya, go wide and battalion are basically the same thing. So the uh, link between green, white and red, white is clear. Big disguise creatures don't really fit into that, but that's what's going on. Bant. So this is detectives go wide and collect evidence, which is not an immediately obvious connection, but uh, looking at it in a little bit more detail, there are a number of detectives in green that interact with collecting evidence. They mill you or they have collect evidence, um, like there are various collect evidence enablers and payoffs that are detectives. So Bant detectives that interact with collect evidence I think reasonably like synergizes. Jess guy, so the intersection between battalion artifact sacrifice and detectives. Uh, the real thing that stood out to me here is novice inspector sounds like it's the exact intersection between all of those things. It is a detective, it's historically great for going wide, it makes an artifact. So Jess guy kind of seems like the novice inspector build around archetype to me. Novice inspector being a Thraven inspector reprint, except it's a detective instead of a soldier. Sultai, creatures leaving the graveyard and collect evidence have so much overlap that they're basically already the same thing. Um, like exiling your, like that, that, that's just part of the stated plan for green black. And then it's just also the stated plan for green blue. So th those have so much overlap as to be indistinguishable. The like clue control part is certainly a loose fit there, except, well, we're playing a long recursive game. I guess a control plan that involves some value objects isn't going to hurt anything. Mardu is pretty straightforward. All of the themes are just like small, wide, aggressive creatures. Teamer. Teamer is where I have absolutely nothing. The link between collect evidence big creatures and artifact sacrifice. These are all wildly different from each other in a way where I just, I'm sure you could put the cards together into a deck that's coherent, but certainly, you know, just combining the stated themes gets you nowhere. Abzan, uh, disguise go wide and small creature matters are like basically the same thing. Like, because the disguise stuff, like, those are all two power. And then if they, like, make tokens, those are also two power or less. Uh, the green-black recursion stuff isn't an obvious fit, but, you know, it sounds like you have, like, a pretty heavy creature deck. So, like, getting those creatures back is fine or whatever. So, th those are the my, my looks at the three-color pairs. I wouldn't be surprised if, especially with green, some decks are more than three colors but I suspect three is going to be pretty common. Did some look at what I consider noteworthy commons. I don't know how much like reading off a list of commons is useful, but I do know that people like to know what to look for in the pre-release, so I probably should. So 
just by color. These are cards that stood out to me for one reason or another. Usually either I think that they are good or important to know about either for the structure of how the set fits together or for um, knowing what kind of stuff you might need to play around. So in white, uh, novice inspector, again, the detective Thrabin inspector, I think is just really like that card's always been good, always been an overperformer, uh, plays really well with all the themes in this set. Sometimes they like reprint famous old cards in sets where they're not so good, basically just to be like, look, power creep is real. Ernim Jin's not good now that we're in Odyssey block or whatever. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen here. I think Novice Inspector is going to fit very well in this set and play really well with all the cards, and it will be a like premium common. Dog Walker. This is a 3-1 uh, uh, for red-white that uh, disguises and flips for red-white hybrid, red-white hybrid, and makes two ones when you turn it face up. Only two mana to uh, flip it over and make two one ones is a really good rate. Like Ponyback Brigade in cons was very strong, and that was six mana to flip over to make three one ones. So saving four mana to get one less one one seems pretty awesome. Um, so I I'm pretty optimistic about Dogwalker. Also, Museum Nightwatch um, is a 2-2 that makes a 2-2 when it dies. Nightwatch and Dogwalker are two disguise creatures that you want to pay attention to, where you want to pay attention to their existence, because if you if your opponent like attacks with a disguise creature and you block with a disguise creature, and then they spend mana and turn it over, they'll have some objects left over and you won't, so they'll get some value out of that trade. So you might want to not block if you're afraid about like letting your opponent get that like profitable exchange. It'll cost them some mana and they'll just have like a 2-2 or a couple one ones left over. But it's possible for your opponent to have some material left over after their morphs trade when they attack on turn four. So you want to kind of watch out for that if uh, you're worried about the value as opposed to the, like the tempo there. You can just take the hit. Inside source is the... Two and a white, one one, that uh, human citizen that makes a two two detective. And then for three and tap, you can uh, give a detective you control plus two plus zero and uh, vigilance as a sorcery. This kind of card, like a two two that makes a one one, is generally pretty good. And here I like that the one one isn't just like a blank token. The one one has an activated ability, so you are doing the best that you can to split up your value among two different objects that are each meaningful. So I, I think that inside, like that kind of card is just always good and this seems like a pretty good version of it. Makeshift Binding is a really impressive white removal spell for a common. Um, this is three mana uh, ETB exile target creature and opponent controls as long until this leaves play and you gain two life. So a little bit narrow, more narrow than Oblivion Ring, but you get two life. So this is actually exiling a creature. Oblivion Rings, I usually like more than auras that hit a creature because this does get the creature out of play. So it's getting rid of any kind of uh, even static abilities on the creature or whatever. Um, and the two life is nice. Make Your Move is two and a white instant. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with power four or greater. 
again, this is a great rate on this kind of card. Very flexible, three mana instant. Um, I, I think this is a pretty good removal spell. And then on the job, two white white creatures you control get plus two plus one until end of turn investigate. Um, I think this card could be pretty impactful. You know, there are like things that make tokens. There are some go white archetypes. This is the kind of card that's sometimes a big deal and sometimes not. But I think that investigate makes the versions, the modes of this card that don't immediately end the game quite a bit better. Um, so I, I think there could actually be something to this one. And then Positive Vigilante, 5 mana, 4, 4, ETB or attack, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on target creature you control with power 2 or less. So this is like 5, 5 worth of stats where a little bit of it like has haste and then it continues giving you value. 5 mana, 4, 4 hasn't been like what you're looking for in Limited in quite a while, but I don't know. I'm a little bit optimistic about this guy. I do, I will note that Disguise is a... Um, mana sync like in general it's easier to spend mana in formats where you have a bunch of disguise creatures because your two drops functionally become like five drops or whatever when you um, can play them face down and then spend, ma spend mana to turn them over um, and that means that having things that have to have five mana to function uh, is less good um, so skeptical about five drops in general but if I'm going to put five mana into a common creature, this guy looks like a decent way to do it to me. Blue, less caught my eye in blue. Um, I think like, you know, Bubble Smuggler, which is a two mana, two one with disguise. And then when you flip it over for six mana, it gets four plus one plus one counters on it. Nothing fancy, but it's nice to have like in a set where playing any two drop matters a lot. And then this thing is meaningfully good early and good late. I'm a bit of a bubble smuggler believer. Unauthorized exit is two mana instant, uh, bounce non land permanent, surveil one. Bouncing, like things that people put a lot of mana into discovering and then turning over, can be pretty good. A lot of the stuff gives you value when it's turned over, but I'm still largely optimistic about bounce spells here. And surveil is nice in blue. Fairy Snoop is the blue black gold card. It's one blue-black for a 1-4 flyer with disguise, one blue-black hybrid, blue-black hybrid. When it's faced up, look at the top two cards of your library, put one in your hand, one in your graveyard. Very good for enabling your, like, uh, collect evidence and stuff, and just, like, decent, you know, three mana, one, four flyers, nothing special, but if you need a blocker, it does it, and then nice little cantrip plus, and you flip it over. I, I like this card. Cold Case Cracker is, I guess, maybe my pick for the best blue common, which is, it's not usually my kind of card. So this is three and a blue for a 3-3 flyer when it dies, investigate. It might just be a total miss, but I don't know. Like, so in general, I don't love four mana 3-3 three, three flyers. Uh, and when it dies, investigate, you're not always getting to investigate out, out of it ever, right? Like, it's possible that it'll get exiled or um, some kind of negative enchantment will be played on it or it's just gonna like be in play for a long time and then you won't have mana to spend like time to spend the mana on the clue or whatever but like when i see this next to like the white four mana three two flyer that exiles cards from a graveyard it's just like well 
I definitely want extra toughness and to maybe get a clue over that. So I don't know. This just seems like a pretty good rate to me. Overall, I think blue, it doesn't look terrible, but it's there are fewer cards that stand out to me as being exciting than there are in the other colors. Blue, at first glance, among commons, is kind of the like least exciting color to me, but massive grain of salt on that. Black mostly stood out as having a lot of good removal. Slice from the shadows, black X, uncounterable target creature gets minus X, minus X. It's an instant. It trades on even mana with uh, disguised creatures. Um, and then it's like flexible to kill big stuff. Pretty good. Um, Snarling Gorehound, I think, is a very interesting card. This is a 1-1 menace for black when another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control surveil one. I think you're going to be having a lot of creatures with power two or less enter the battlefield under your control if you want. And surveilling a lot is pretty interesting, especially in a set that like cares about stuff in the graveyard. Um, and then 1-1 menace means that this is just like going to be able to get a decent amount of damage in. I think that this card is... Very interesting, good in a lot of different decks for different reasons. This is another one drop I'm like pretty into. Extract a Confession. This is a two mana sorcery speed edict, which is not a great start. Uh, sorcery speed really hurts, um, but it does trade in a mana positive way with a disguised creature if that's all your opponent has. And it has collect evidence six. And if you collect evidence, your opponent has to sacrifice their uh creature with the greatest power so it doesn't it's an edict that's like not bad against tokens as long as you can collect evidence and a removal spell that you know lines up reasonably well against discover creatures so i, I could see it having a place murder just the reprint um black black one destroy a creature instant is in the set and a strong card and then um one other card that I think is important to know about is Shady Informant. Three black red for a 4-2. When it dies, it deals any two damage to any target. And it has Disguise for two red-black hybrid, red-black hybrid. So this is another one where if this trades with a morph, you flip it over, it can uh, kill another thing also. Notably, unless they have six mana, they're not going to kill two different disguise creatures because the ward will stop it from killing a ward they were to, if they were to try to target it with the ability but um you know if both players curve out and then this trades with the discover creature or something or trades with the disguise creature it can like kill another two drop or something i think it's actually going to be somewhat difficult to get all of that to line up the way that you want so i think it's going to maybe play a little bit worse than it reads but i'm not sure about that might might just be good. Overall, black struck me as notably having very good removal. Red broadly looked great to me. I think there there are just a lot of like good looking red cards. Um, Shock is reprinted in this set. Very good against disguised creatures, although nowhere near as good as it is against morphs. But it still trades uh, even mana with them, and you know also trades with most two drops. Point is, it's rarely going to be dead, and then shock is like pretty good if you aren't worried about like your opponent just not having anything you can kill with it. Uh, Galvanize is one in red, instant, deal three damage to a creature. If you've drawn two or more cards this turn, it deals five damage instead. 
I think this is a really big deal for red blue just structurally. Red blue often struggles with high toughness creatures and drawing an extra card isn't very difficult here. It's often going to turn this into like a four mana play where you have to sacrifice a clue and then use it. But being able to kill five toughness creatures with a red instant at common is uh, significant. I'm not going to list each of them, but like all of the red creatures just look really good to me. Um, like not literally all of them, but there are so many that are just like good. They just like give you value up front or something. Like there's a 2-1 that if it takes three or more damage, it investigates. So that's basically a 2-1. There's a three mana 2-2 uh, reach that destroys an artifact where you can sack an artifact to um, put two counters on it. So that's you know either going to be above rate or a two for one. Just a, a lot of value a, around at red, in red at common. Also, the chase is on. Two in red instant target creature gets plus three plus zero and first strike until end of turn investigate. So this is one more mana than sure strike to investigate. I think this card's really good. I think Sure Strike is like kind of, I don't know, it, it's not that bad. It's just exactly not good enough. And getting to investigate just feels like exactly what it needs to put it over. I think this card's going to play really well. Oh, and then Suspicious Detonation. Five mana, uncounterable sorcery, four damage target creature, but it costs three less, so only two mana if you've sacrificed an artifact this turn. So two different red commons that like deal a bunch of damage to stuff if you sack a clue um, or other artifact. This one, I think, is worse than Galvanize in a meaningful way due to being a sorcery, but better, well, no, I guess mostly worse at killing disguised creatures just also able to do it reasonably anyway red looks great overall and then green is most notable just for having a lot of fixing at least to me i hope rebel belt maverick is good i don't know if it will be this is one one for green etb surveil too and then you can spend a green and exile it from your graveyard to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature as a sorcery I think you need a pretty good amount of like graveyard value for this to be playable, but it's a cool card. Nervous Gardener is fantastic. This is a two mana two two, or you can disguise it, and then when you flip it over for a single green, you can search for a basic land and put it in your hand. I don't know. It, it's most these are like pretty normal green cards, decent amount of like value, and notably a lot of fixing. Um, individual cards don't stand out as super noteworthy beyond that. Uncommons will likely be more impactful in this set than they have been historically due to the nature of play boosters, making them come up a little bit more often. But uh, without having experienced it, um, I'm really not sure how impactful that's going to be. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I didn't put a ton of effort into trying to unpack that, I guess. So at first glance, red and black seem pretty impressive. A little bit skeptical of blue very 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 low confidence in that assessment and certainly the higher rarity cards are going to uh do a lot to change that and so like a lot of it is like well you know these blue card commons that aren't necessarily super impactful on their own do they go do a good job of supporting the more powerful higher rarity blue cards and if they do like if the if the blue commons do what you need them to do then blue is good this is uh I think a good example of that is um, 
uh, Lord of the Rings Limited, where I don't feel like the blue commons were really independently impressive cards, but the whole package of just like what blue wanted to do in that set with some of the higher rarity cards and how the commons played with the stuff you were trying to combine it with led to a package that played really well and something similar to that could certainly happen here. So I'm certainly not ready to lock in, oh yeah, to play red, black or anything, but they looked good uh, on first impression. And that's what I have. So uh, with these less focused episodes, I don't really know exactly where we're gonna go with the discussion, but I'll just kind of turn it over to chat for general uh, discussion and questions about you know, the impressions of the set before playing with it. I do want to um, thank the newest patron. Uh, thanks, Matt. And also suggest that anyone else who's looking to uh, support the podcast, check out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. All right, questions. Does Galvanize pair well with any colors besides blue? Probably. Also, I think it's just generally good. Did I look closely at what other things are going to let you efficiently sacrifice artifacts for it? No. Does that apply to blue detective decks that the blue cards individually seem like less exciting? I mean, I think that it's kind of normal with like typal decks to not have individual cards stand out. And then you just kind of like tie together a bunch of little synergies and it works out pretty well. So like, I really want to stress I'm more just like, you know, the number of like blue commons that wow me is low, but it doesn't look like blue is like structurally incapable of doing things it needs to do or whatever. Is the five mana morph rule in effect? Debatable. So the five mana morph rule refers to a concept that emphatically didn't exist in Onslaught and then was created for cons. Uh, and the idea is that... Um, when you have less than five mana available, if morphs get into combat with each other, one morph will not eat the other morph. So you won't flip into a creature that uh, trumps a 2-2 in combat. You might bounce or you might trade, uh, but you won't just like kill their creature and keep your creature alive. In this set, you won't kill their creature and have your creature stay alive, but you might kill their creature and get appreciable value. Um, in cons, that was also true in a more nebulous sense. Like it was possible to, for example, flip over a 2-1 flyer that gained two life when it flipped over and then trade and you'd be up two life. Here, the effects that you're getting on the trade are a little bit better. You can end up with some 1-1s, you can end up with a 2-2, you can end up with a shock. Um, but, uh, so whether that counts as following the rule is a little bit subjective, but that's the situation in this set. I have a question. You said two color with splashes will be more common by the same thought. Do you think monocolor drafts will be more common? I'm trying to figure out how that would be by the same thought, <laughs> which I may be getting hung up on the wrong point. Uh, do I think that monocolor will be more common? Not really. Like, monocolor, like, hybrid does lead to monocolor. I don't think that the way that hybrid is used in this set does. Um, like, we're not seeing a bunch of, like, quad hybrid as the full casting cost for a card. 
and we are seeing like a good number of like actual gold cards at um uncommon uh and like mono color doesn't take advantage of the plentiful fixing like mono green wouldn't make any sense will there occasionally be like a mono red deck possibly but i don't really see why it would happen more often structurally in this set than any other set uh would i start this format with 18 lands or 17 so this question i assume is inspired by the fact that uh morph um and similarly disguise is as i mentioned a mana sink that means that decks are good at spending mana well um and so it's reasonable to play extra mana or extra lands because you are good at spending your mana i am more inclined to go out of my way to play a, a lot of cheap cards rather than to like play extra lands that i can use all my expensive stuff but i don't think that it sounds I, I think that playing 18 should be in your range but you should try to draft decks that want 17 even though there are a lot of mana sinks would i guess be my baseline approach before playing it do I view X3s higher or lower than I would in cons? I think that like the value of a 2-3 against a morph is a little bit overstated because yes, it trumps it for like a turn or two, but once your opponent is attacking their morph into your 2-3, it doesn't really ma it only matters that your 2-3 is bigger if you have mana up. So like then like Basically what happens is if a morph attacks into your 2-3 and both players have mana, they're clearly saying, if you block, I can turn this over and it's going to win combat. But you're saying, if you turn this over, I can spend mana to like kill your thing and so you shouldn't have spent mana to turn it over because you're just going to be down a bunch of mana. If I'm tapped out and I have a 2-3 and you attack, I can't really block. I have to trust that your thing is bigger than my thing in practice. And I think a lot of the time I'm going to be tapped out and you're going to be able to like send your discovered creature in and like my two, three is not actually going to be able to block it. So I care more about just like, do I have a two drop that can kind of like force you to like, so the thing is that in the spot where we both have mana, the two, three forces you to act, but a two, one also forces you to act because like, you're not looking to trade down. Um, so the extra toughness like is nice you know it means that you can like but the other thing is like okay so it means that your two three can attack into their two two and they can't block but like your two one could attack into their two two and they're not going to block either so i think a lot of the like extra toughness there it like the value that it provides is largely illusory it doesn't never come up but it's narrow that it matters um i think it's just more important to like be able to curve out at all than like what you're like whether it's a 2-1 or a 2-2 or a 2-3 as far as how it compares to cons like that third toughness not appreciably different in my estimation at this point uh which slot on your curve do you put disguised creatures whatever makes my curve look prettiest that's like kind of tongue-in-cheek but also very serious because like Whatever puts makes my curve look prettiest actually speaks to how I'm usually going to want to spend my mana. So if there's a creature where it's way better to disguise it, and I'm going to go out of my way to disguise it, uh, even if it costs two, I'm like only going to play it on two if like I don't have another two, and I'm not going to make my land drop or my curve is like my hand is just like super super heavy or whatever. 
but like I'm, you know, it's something where it's just like way better to face down. I'll call it a three drop. But for the most part, I'm going to call my like things that can be cashed for two, two drops. And then if it happens to be convenient to like play them face down, I will. But I do think that like real realistically, putting your disguise creatures wherever looks best is like there's truth to that because that's how they're going to be. That's how they're, you're going to play them. You're going to play them to make your curve work. From past sets with morph, did you often try to keep track of when each is down creature was cast? Uh, I mean, that is a thing that is like, I mean, yes. So the, the answer is like the game rules tell you to track it. And so you like you, it gets tracked. Um, are there any etiquette suggestions that came out of playing with these sets in paper? You can like put a die like labeled one on or next to the first one you played and one labeled two with the second one. I usually just like lay them left to right. And if my opponent asks, I tell them this is the first one, this is the second one, this is the third one. Um, for me, it's easier to just keep them in the order that I played them and know that that's what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, whatever works for you is fine. I view collecting evidence as a strategy or more like Delve where it's good to have a couple, but there's diminishing returns. Yes, there are explicitly diminishing returns. However, the returns diminish less and the ability to build around it is greater than it is with Delve because not all objects in the graveyard are created equal and you can build your deck specifically to put high casting costs in the graveyard repeatedly to fuel multiple collect evidence cards more easily. So like a single topiary whatever uh, six mana card that uh, can land cycle for two fuels an entire collect evidence six. That means that if you have a bunch of, you know, these like six mana cards that can go to your graveyard easily, you can potentially power a bunch of collect evidence cards. Whereas, you know, you're not going to be able to like effortlessly fuel a bunch of treasure cruises by, you know, getting a few like a few extra cards in your graveyard easily. So I do think that there's a lot more room to like lean into I care about enabling this. I have high casting cost cards in my deck and ways to like mill them or discard them or whatever. But if you are using them incidentally rather than actively enabling them, then you want to be pretty careful about their diminishing returns. Is collect evidence similar to escape where the first is very, very powerful and important and from there the importance drops off quickly? I don't think so. Having a single escape card turns your entire graveyard repeatedly into a resource. Uh, whereas collect evidence is a one-time thing and like the ability to like exile one or two cards once first not doing that doesn't really seem transformative to me in any meaningful way. <laughs> Would you count a disguise land toward your mana base or a 23rd spell slot? So there is an uncommon land that taps for colorless mana that can be disguised and uh, makes mana, like fixes your mana basically when you turn it face up. I think it depends on your intended plan for the card. Like if your mana is easy and you don't mind playing colorless land, you can basically just be like, I'm going to replace a basic for this and usually plan to just play it as land. But if I happen to flat out, I'll play a 2-2 and great. Whereas if 
you need your colored sources and you wouldn't want to play a colorless land and you're using this for fixing, then I would treat it for fixing or for ramping and your like intended plan is to play it as a creature, then I'd count it as a creature. I, I think a lot of the questions about like, how do you conceive of this card during deck building is what's the use case that you are intending for this card? Like the flexibility is valuable, but you should treat it as whatever you're planning to use it for. Do you think that archetypes that traditionally are very creature heavy might be incentivized to draft more instants and sorceries to enable collect evidence? The thing is creatures have some special ability to enable collect evidence in this set. What I mean by that is if you play a morph for three mana and it costs six mana according to its upper right hand casting cost and it trades with something, you've enabled collect evidence six for three mana where an instant or sorcery is unlikely to enable collect evidence six for three mana. So and then also there's like the land cycling creature that enables collect evidence. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that in all cases, instants and sorceries will be better at enabling collect evidence. I'm also not sure that collect evidence heavy decks are decks that are traditionally creature heavy. I don't know that they traditionally exist. I will say that if you are doing a lot of collecting of evidence, you should have a plan for enabling it. And there are probably several ways that you can do that. All right. I think I'm going to wrap it up here. So thanks everyone for listening. I'm definitely looking forward to drafting this set a lot this weekend, as I mentioned, and I will be back next week. I haven't decided if I'm going to get right into focusing on a single archetype or if I'm going to do like an overview that talks about like generally how the set actually plays or stuff that like turned out to be significantly different from what I've talked about here or what that's going to be just a matter of what I feel most prepared for and what I think will be most interesting based on what I've learned between now and then. So thanks for listening. Have a good week, everyone. Uh, enjoy your pre-release and I'll be back next week with more information about MKM. Bye for now. Prepare for light speed.